I killed this show. Y'all didn't decide to cancel till I came on. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 51 of the Glass Cannon Nation fancast. We're your hosts, Stephen. And Jared. That was and Jared, if you weren't listening, if you couldn't hear me. It's, it's, me, it's me, Jared. We also have a couple special guests with us today. No. Yes. First no. up, it's everybody's favorite, especially Jared's. Mm. Amanda's back. I'm here. Hello. How are you guys? I was better. I'm doing great. How are you, Steven? I, I'm great. I'm enjoying this. I mean, you know, I mentioned your name and Jared just already he just starts drooping. He looks like droopy dog right now. He looks like that all the time. Well, it's, that's true. absolute fact. <laughs> but it's not just Amanda. We also have a returning guest, friend of the show, and high school valedictorian, DeSicchio. <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't believe you brought that up. <laughs> I think we can all agree though that I'm like the less special guest of the you know, Amanda's way better than me, so we'll just we'll just leave it no, at that. I'm here way too much. Like yeah. you're more you're, you're the consistent. you're the more you're rare the, sighting. Yes, but you're you're consistent though at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well it's like it's not like the audience gets to hear my weekly email like dissertations that I send submit to you guys about discussions of everything and stupid. anything. Well that comes up occasionally, although you get more stuff right than wrong, to be honest. No, they don't get to necessarily hear that, but they do get to benefit from it because you have been a constant source of us improving week over week in terms of accuracy of the things that we're talking about or corrections that we need to make. So thank you so much for your service to this show. Mm-hmm. It is greatly appreciated, and it would not be the same without you. Well, you're very welcome, and I can say the exact same thing to you guys. I mean, like, the show is amazing, and I just want to say thank you for all, all the stuff and the, uh, the hard work, because there's a lot of work that goes into these shows. So thanks for that. We're glad you thank enjoy Thank you it. for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, God, that's my microphone. I don't want to hit that. I want to hit this. Yeah, you dummy. Stupid idiot sandwich. In Glass Cannon news, there is now a Glass Cannon Nation Facebook page that Amanda put together? No, it wasn't me originally, and you've put me on the spot. Ryan reached out on Twitter to ask if there was a Facebook fan page. And I had actually tried to start one a few years ago, but there wasn't much. I wasn't as connected into the group back then. And I literally just deleted it a couple of months ago. And so when Ryan put it together, I was like, well, I can get the news out. So I am one of the admins there. And so all of us old school Facebook lovelies are there chatting about the glass cannon. And dice. Yes. While you're here, do you also want to talk about Grantmas? Yes, I'm so excited. So Grant, you know, is from Dallas. He's one of us Texans. And he comes home every year for Christmas. That's kind of his family's tradition. And so this is our third year of getting him to be able to do a meetup with him and his wife, Angel. And I finally got the dates from him. And so we're doing it on December 22nd at Common Ground Games in Dallas. So I've got an invitation graphic uh, up on Twitter, on the Reddit, on Facebook. And if people can take the time to RSVP, that helps just so we have kind of a head count 
because uh, me and my co-host Gary are uh, going to pay for the space just to make sure we have some tables reserved. And so having a head count kind of helps. But if nothing else, just come out and join us. We'll be there from 2 to 6 on Sunday, the 22nd. You heard it here first, folks. And then again and again, go check out Grantmas. If you're within, you know, the greater tri-state area. Or, you know, just if you want to take a vacation to Texas in the winter. Yeah. On top of that, the Glass Cannon store is having their first Black Friday slash Black Friday weekend sale starting this week on Black Friday. I'm really excited to see the new merch that's going up that Troy was like, oh, we've got some overstock shirts that have never been up here before. Yeah, I was really hoping they would put up the old school, the the first shirts. The OG. The OG. I want one. I have one. It's great. And I'm jealous. (laughs) And last but certainly not least... Actually, I think this is probably one of the most interesting things that's ever come up in our news segment. There is a fan coloring book being put together by the one and only DeSicchio. So I'll leave it to him to talk about that. Well, it's not just being put together by me. I'm asking for help from as much of the nation as can, is willing to help. So on the subreddit, there is a post which I put up there. and I'm going to be continuing to post it as time goes on with a Google Drive folder, which anybody can make submissions to. And the idea is to share art, which people can color with. With puzzles, crosswords, uh, mazes, whatever people can put together that are all GCP themed. So that way there'll be a file that we can all download around the holidays as just a little extra Christmas gift. So even if you don't know how to draw, you don't have art skills, you can still do crosswords. Um, there are methods to make that. So I want as many people are willing to help as possible. And that's it for Glass Cannon News. So excited. I really want to see what this looks like. Once it's complete, I'm super looking forward to this. This would be really, really potentially difficult for Adam, the guy who just put out the huge poster of every playable character or play character in GCP, or at least in um, Giant Slayer. What if it was uh, like, what's the difference between the two pictures? What's missing? Ooh, spot the difference. Spot the dip. There you go. That I keep on trying to convince. I keep on trying to convince somebody to do a. Can you spot the difference between Metra and her mirror images? You know which one is different. <laughs> I'm just not a good enough artist for that. Oh, I should also add that um, this is not going to be sold. It's going to be a free downloadable file because of legal reasons. But I still want to make it and share it with everybody. That's one of the great things about really, I guess, the guys is there's some people out there who, if you do anything without their permission, they will come rain fiery hell upon you. Well, I should also add that I actually have permission. Uh, Skid reached out and said, go for it. I would love to see it. Well, so. Fuck you. That just kind of throws everything out the window now. <laughs> well, and we had the same sort of a thing when we started this show was we wanted to make sure that everything was okay with the guys. So we went and we ran it past them first. And, you know, they are promoting this sort of a fan engagement with their products. And they're like, hey, you're passionate about this. You want to do something that's just like giving back to the community? Go for it. (laughs) What the hell was that? (laughs) That's Jared throwing a hissy fit. What did you do, Jared? I talked with my mouth closed. Mm. He told an inside joke and it never left his mouth. Yep. I thought maybe you got hand slapped at some point. No. 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 The guys have always seemed super gracious. All of the happy hour emails from Joe, if you're on the Patreon subscription, like they're very, very thankful to their fan base. Which we haven't gotten one of those in a while. I know. Come on, Joe. It's your full-time job. Yeah. Shit. 
get busy, dude. It's not like you don't have like live shows and a full time like gig. He doesn't worry about that. Plus, you know, recording Emerald Spire because that releases next week. Yeah, get on, get on the ball, man. Although I could say the same for you guys. I mean, giving up on the whole GCN fan cast and stuff. <laughs> we are happy to pass the torch. I don't know that I would agree with that, Jared. Like, I'm I'm, I'm sad about it. No, no, I am too. Don't like it's it's one of those things where it's like. I'm excited because I get my Fridays back and my wife is really excited because she gets to see me on Friday nights. <laughs> Spoiler alert for everyone who's listening at home. We typically record these now on Fridays, but I'm also going to miss this. Yeah, we're, we're still going to have these conversations. And, you know, again, we're going to be talking about what the future of this ends up looking like. So we're not saying that this is going away and never coming back, but we're also not promising anything about the specific layout in the future because we have to have those conversations once we finish up the total recap. Mm-hmm. But not to belabor that point, why don't we jump into Giant Slayer episode 234, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lava. All right, well, this week we get a glimpse of Adriel and Sir Will outside of Ustalov as they camp out with Will being all moody and emo and shit. <laughs> After he is tortured for the umpteenth time by wolf howls up in the distance, we head back to the party to hear a little bit more of them exploring and finally a level up at the forge. Hey, you said that wasn't going to happen this episode. I was shocked it did. Wait, wait, wait. You asked me to prepare a drop for this. <laughs> I, I need that drop for my home games. Just that, that wasn't what we discussed before. No, it yeah, wasn't. Recording. <laughs> In any event, uh, there the party resizes some armor, crafts some bullets, and gets some buffs before they head back into the volcano. This week, there were a total of zero bullets used. However. 100 bullets were made, bringing our bullet count to 128 out of 128 left. Not a whole lot really happened this episode. In terms of advancing the story, there was a lot of exposition. Yeah, there was. And something actually, as I was reading, that was rather interesting. And actually, Sikia, you might be able to kind of um, point me in the right direction or maybe correct me on this. But if I'm not mistaken, they are outside of Ustalov. Adriel and Sir Will. Hunting boars. Yes, hunting boars. But you know what's also in Ustalov? Uh, I, I think I know where you're going with this, but uh, wh- what is also in Ustalov? The Gallowspire. Oh. Which is where the Whispering Tyrant is at. Indeed. Bringing it full circle with Brander, wanting to kind of take that power from him. That's. It seems like that's where... Yep. Brander with no why, which is just lazy writing in my opinion, is going. That's what he wants. And the fact that they're outside of they're in Ustalov, that's rather interesting. There's a lot of awesome lore ties into Ustalov and their current it. location. I mean, I love how they worked in the massacre, or excuse me, the demon skin war, um, war into mm. that very personal moment. Yeah. The guys are really good at, at weaving in those uh, through lines the, from the Galarian lore. Yeah, see, Ustalov is probably my favorite country province whatever you want to call it what happened to aslan hold on <laughs> in, what happened to aslan has spoilers for a yeah. certain patreon show yeah yeah god steven we don't talk about that show here <laughs> but no it's my favorite in galarian because it's pretty much castlevania in a country 
you got your vampires, you got your demons, you got your werewolves, you got your mummies, you have your Lovecraftian horrors. It's and if that's not bad enough, right? To their neighbor to the north is a bunch of demons. Yeah, that's right, because they're not that far from the... Um, Chelyax? Yes. No, no, the, no, no, no. World um, Wound. Oh, yes, World right. Wound. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. But yeah, I'm really happy they actually leveled up. I, th- I thought Metro would get more than one spell, though. She got one plus her... Plus her bloodline. Plus her bloodline, yeah. That's right. I was looking at spells per level, not spell slots last week. What did what feat did Jimmer get again? Oh, bleeding critical. Bleeding That's critical. gonna be super fucking helpful because all of those critical feats are amazing. Unless it's just all iron rhinos from here on out. It's not. Well, it might be, because that we've all learned that they can't handle that. And then two, it'll prevent crits. But it won't, because constructs are not immune to crits. But they're immune to bleed. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because they don't have blood. So when they were discussing the level up, they were also discussing, so with Dahlgrith, right? Um, they talked about how he got the advanced road ta- talent opportunist. And then Grant mentioned something which is older, his teamwork feat, which is target of opportunity, right? which allows him, him to use an immediate action to make a ranged attack whenever somebody else makes a ranged attack. And then there was the question about whether he could use that whenever Metra casts a spell. Grant, if you're listening, you absolutely can. Anytime Metra casts a spell that is a ranged attack, not even a ranged touch attack, which surprised me, I, I did some research into this, but any ranged attack spell qualifies to activate that feat. So you should be shooting a lot more often, Grant. Well, that makes my job that much harder because then I really have to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how much of a bitch of a time I have whenever, because I listen on my way into work in the mornings. And so before I was like, all right, he shot twice. And then I got to work. I had to write it down. But now like I'm on, like I have like a, the, the notepad open on my phone and I'm just hitting like a button every time he shoots just so that way there's some record of it. So when I get to the office, I'm like, oh, okay, he shot 13 times. All right. And then I can do the math from there. Don't shoot anymore, please. Did he say how many bullets he crafted this time? He did not. I actually had to call him out on Twitter. He did. Well, no, no. He 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 said that I'm, I, I want to craft like a hundred. I need to. Given I am in charge of his counts, I need to know the exact number. What you couldn't do the math and go backwards? I think he said he's crafted six hundred gold worth of yes shots. But the problem is we don't know how many of those are alchemical cartridges or potentially other types of firearm right. ammunition that have different costs. So I'm thoroughly convinced he says he crafts alchemical cartridges, but then whenever he needs a flare, he's like, I put in a flare. I mean he hasn't used one, I don't think, since like book two. But I'm sure he wouldn't be like he puts one in there if it needed it. But yeah, yeah, he said six hundred and but then I yeah I talked to him on on Twitter and that's when he corrected me and so it, he did say it was a hundred bullets that were crafted. Yeah, I can vouch for that. I liked both of those tweets. Y- you did, but yeah, I think after you're done with all you know your circuit of going to all these cons and and panels and discussions to CQO, you should submit your resume to them to GCP <laughs> and you yes. could be their rules lawyer. That's like on that's sitting there while they're recording and be like, actually, guys, that's wrong. Yeah. And then you can be like, that's wrong. Here's a 3000 word speech. Why that's wrong. And then, yeah. And then Joe would be like, I I hate you and love you at the same time. (laughs) I don't know if being qualified to be a professional rules lawyer is a compliment or an insult. 
but I will take it the best possible way. You know, I, I've been at a, yeah. I was about I've to say, been, Joe would only love it if it like was the worst possible outcome for Joe in the party. <laughs> he's, I didn't realize, but he's really into that S&M scene. He loves punishing himself. <laughs> I know, right? And he'll even interrupt fellow players like, uh, I think we're going to die, guys. It's, it's, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I, they say I took 28 points of damage. I meant I took 68 points of damage. Shut the fuck up. Wait, I don't think I can do that, even though the GM didn't even notice. I think I'm going to call myself out. From a GM's perspective, though, I do appreciate when a player is like, no, this is actually a mistake. I mean, it, on the one hand, I really appreciate it. On the other hand, it's like, you should have caught this. And I'm like, yeah, I should have. And at the same time, like, you realize you're just punishing yourself now, right? Like, if I miss it, good on you, because you got one past me. On the other side of that, right? Like, if it is one of those things, it's like, oh, it got past me. I'm like, nope, here, I said you're fine, therefore you're fine, and go with it, and we'll adjust it moving forward. And I, I do that a lot when it's, yeah. you know, uh, so there was one for soft cover or for partial cover. I was like, uh, it's, it's this bonus. Oh, shit, it ended up being higher. Well, you're not going to take a higher penalty until we're done with this combat, and then next time we'll just go on. Yeah. No, but on the other hand, Joe is so he takes his uh, horrible roles in stride. If it was me, I would be. I mean, there's sometimes when he loses his shit and he's just like banging the table and screaming. But I was gonna say, I, I, you have a weird definition of in stride. <laughs> well, some of it, he's just like, uh, you know, like I'm Joe. I'm gonna roll crap, and like I think after what has it been three years, four years now? I think I would be like. I give up. I'm going to go try to plant flowers instead. Like he just takes it and he's a good sport. Book one. He was fine. True. Book one. Nico was fine. I was going to say, if we're going by statistics, I'm way worse than Joe because I made it through an entire book of um, wrath of the righteous rolling only, I think one crit the entire book. That's even more like that's rough. This is why this is why I'm too scared to play. Because of random dice rolls? The thing is that, that one crit was an insta-kill on a mini-boss, so it was totally worth it. It was like the most narratively okay, fulfilling so, so, moment so, ever. Yes, statistically, you, you didn't roll all the crits, but you were great in the clutch. I would much rather have somebody in the clutch than someone who's rolling 20s every other combat. Yeah. I'd rather have it to where it's going to be some, look, if, if my life or the party's life is on the line and you're dropping a crit, then makes up for everything else. And and more drama is more entertaining. Also true. That's true. And Joe seems to appreciate it for that reason alone. That's why he would have been happy if Dax had been aboard the Islanti ship. Uh, I'm too sentimental. I was like, no, he's like one of my favorites. You can't do that, Joe. I mean, his but- next character is going to suck anyway, too, so... <laughs> So on the topic of presenting rules that might add for interesting drama or story, I found something interesting in the discussion that happened today. All right. You know how they were talking about teleport and they were talking about marking the wall with chalk to make it Mm -hmm. easier to remember? Mm -hmm. I think, personally, Troy should have at least given it a second thought of allowing them to do it. Not because mechanically it should give them a benefit, but because of the horrible repercussions that could have happened. Because you see, teleportation, your ability to teleport somewhere is all about how well you can mentally visualize the space. So theoretically, making it so that way you've personalized the space should make you more able to visualize it, right? Sure. However, let's say that they did that. Let's say they took some chart, marked up the wall. If the giants noticed that and then erased it, and Metra tried to visualize a room whose key 
identifying factor was something that no longer exists, that becomes a false destination. And if you try to teleport to a false destination, a place that is completely that is altered enough to no longer be familiar to you, then you only roll off targets or mishaps. (laughs) (laughs) That could be really interesting. Or Or if he really just wants to like really, really wants to just throw them for a loop, don't even erase the mark, but then have like 18 fire giant captains and 30 of those little fire hounds just waiting there, camped out, waiting for them at the mark. They've also made chalk markings in other areas, so have them show up in the wrong area with a chalk marking. Right, right. Yeah, and of course it does have to, you know, you have to ask, is that a big enough change for it to guarantee it's an off-target destination? But I think Troy, being as evil as he is, he'd probably make that interpretation, and I would love to listen to it. I would I would do that. Well, yeah, especially seeing as they're trying to make the argument that it's enough to change it from casually seen to studied. So if it's enough to bump it up, it's enough to bump it down if that goes away. Yeah, that would be really, really, really interesting. One thing I caught toward the very end of the episode that I wanted to talk about is when Troy's giving that speech about how they hear something whispering for them at the end of the episode, I could swear the voice is Ellie. And I want to have everybody listen to this. Over to this spot on the stairs. I mean, it, it, it could have been. It also could have just been something generated by Sirenscape that just Correct. sounds like that. But I rewound that and I listened to it probably 20 times just to go, did I just hear Ellie in the background? So how long was PG in cryo? I mean, that would have been a... <laughs> So that that was just something that I caught. I was just like, A, there's no way. Because I think Troy has said that Glass Cannon Podcast is just going to be them. The only way I could see him bringing somebody in is if they do the whole Marvel in-game Infinity War ending to where there's so many characters out there, they need help playing them. Yeah, and just being like a voice for something. Correct. That's the only way I see that happening. I think realistically it was probably just an artifact from the randomizer in Sirenscape, but I think it was interesting timing and an interesting voice that stood out to me. Can you play it one more time? Yeah. Over to this spot on the stairs. Oh, hello. I mean, it could be, but it could also be something from Sirenscape. Yeah. But he's not, he's not running the board. So who knows? Do you guys think Grant's theory on the boxes is correct? Do you think it's going to be items for each of the players, or do you think it's going to be something Ash Peak related? I think it's something Ash Peak related because the stuff in the tomb in book one is actually written into the AP. This entire thing right here that they're going through. I might want to bleep that out. Yeah, I didn't know that, so I had. Spoiler alert for the two of you. Yay, we know the things. It's all cool. It makes it more exciting, in my opinion. No, it's true because it's completely nobody knows what's going to happen. I'm not going to change my guess. My guess before knowing that and after is still going to be, I think it's either going to be another gun for Baron, like a high level gun for him, or possibly and, depending on how many boxes there are, a mimic. (laughs) Oh, please. I I like the mimic. I don't see him giving him another gun because he already does so much fucking damage. 
with like a plus one, but it's got like a level two. What if it's a cursed intelligent item? Well, and they also have greater bane now too, so it's he's only going to be doing more damage. I mean, but, granted, that's limited uses per day, but but you give Baron a gun that is intelligent, that has its own agenda, that may or may not go along with what he believes as the sheriff of True Now in terms of what is right, or I you like give him that. something that reads as magic but is actually a cursed item. I like that. I, I do like that. I do like that. I do think though that Grant's prediction that it's specifically tailored to all the people. I mean, it's entirely possible because we don't know what Troy's doing, but I think his prediction is more like wishful thinking and try like saying that it's true to make it so. Yeah. But I made some notes about like Adriel, how Adriel's the only Oracle that hasn't admitted that his visions have a potential of failure and how that's an interesting dynamic on a PC instead of an NPC. Well, yeah, it's, that's exactly the reason why, because it's a PC and not an NPC because Troy could be like, yes, I foresee Gel getting swallowed by a fish and he can make sure it happens. Versus a PC where you're, it's actually more rolling up the dice. Mm-hmm. To play devil's advocate, though, on your cursed intelligent item, Troy has said he hates playing NPCs for an so extended just, period of time. That's so what, just make it a cursed item. Yeah. Yeah. Or make it's it a... It's a really enjoy thing, though. Make it a cursed intelligent item, but the intelligent item is mute, and it can't tell Baron its goal, <laughs> but Baron is always going against it. I wonder so if it'll be a way, based on the mural... For him to somehow communicate with Adriel, but I don't know what kind of item that would be. Ooh, yeah, there there are like uh, it's not like headband of message, but there, but there are like communication wondrous items out there that it no. could be. I think in that case, though, sorry. sorry. I think in that case, it would be more important though. It would have to be evidence that Adriel exists because Adriel knows about Baron, but not vice versa. Yeah, that's true. Right, and Adriel would already have to have, I guess, the other half of whatever item he would find in there. Yeah, so. I really think it's just junk, personally. He opens it up, and it's just dookie. Pretty much. I think the likelihood of it being junk has gone up since Troy has heard Grant say, oh, it's got to be stuff for all of us. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. True. Because, like I said, Jimmer doesn't need anything. He's already got, I think, plus five armor and a plus five sword. For a frontliner, you really don't need much else. Grant's already hitting at like a five or higher. Mm-hmm. Metro really doesn't need much, except maybe like um, pearls of power, but that's not going to be sitting in a box in the, at the bottom of the volcano. Not with that attitude. And Dahlgrith is Dahlgrith. He's the only one-handed fighting rogue that I've ever heard of. So I just, I don't. I guess it goes all the way back to who put the mural there, who put the boxes there, and what their end goal is. Like it could be a trap from Brander. It could be something to help Baron figure out more about his past. It could be just a, like you say, like a mimic or... I think it's a storage room. (laughs) I could just see it now. The the same designer, the architect that put a wooden bridge over the lava, put barrels of (laughs) gunpowder right next to the priceless mural that shows the ancient family history. And the liquid hot magma. Possible bridge. This bridge is impossible. Yes, I got it out for you last week. I know. But I just need people to know, can't put a wooden bridge over magma. I mean, you can, it just won't survive. Exactly. Nobody was there building it, so it should be dead. So the title of this episode should have been Bridge Over Troubled Magma. Ooh. It's true. I like that. Or Bridge Over the River Magma. Unless it was built by a certain bridge walker. (laughs) This bridge should not have been here. Boo. Let it go. Thank you. Thank you. That one he's got hot keyed. I deserve that.
But in any event, you're welcome, Steven. Let's go ahead and move over to Androids and Aliens episode 85, Unwelcoming Committee. Combat is avoided as the attackers stand down and point the party toward a nearby building. Before heading that way, PG notices some scorch marks on the landing pad that appear to be rather recent. As they approach the building, they decide a stealthy approach is better through the open window than the door that was left ajar. However, thanks to multiple failed stealth checks, they fall through the windows instead of sneaking through them. After looking around inside, they hear combat and rush out to see two different groups of presumably locals fighting who are soon stopped by Captain Kreska. Both groups try to run, but one, wearing the markings of the god Televet, stays behind, and through some basic communication, some trust is established. The Televet locals then bring the group back to their tribe to meet the leader. Upon arriving, they are invited to platonically kiss, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, share a language, and the episode ends. Was anybody else as horrified as I was by the concept of platonically kissing somebody with a detached mandible-like jaw and bone-like razor-sharp teeth? Not until just now. Uh, you could platonically kiss them on the forehead. I mean, it's not platonically making out. Yeah, the, the, the picture in my head, I said last week it was a, like a cross between the sectoids from XCOM 2 and the Turians from Mass Effect, but... I started to think about the elites from Halo, how they just have this just like open mouth, multiple moving mandible, like jellyfish mouth thing that's just Or like full the of vampires teeth. from Blade 2. Or the vampires from Blade 2. And Friss is ready to just get all up in there. That butt. That mandible. He's got to go home and masticate. Oh, I like that. That's good. good <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, the the thing that really got me in this one was there was that whole conversation about how do we get into this building? PG's like, hey, we should really climb up into this instead of going through the front door. Kreska, you go first. And then <laughs> nobody, not a single person was like, well, you're the climbing bastard. Yeah, didn't she take like climbing master or master climber? Yeah, she took climbing master as a feat, but then she told everybody that it was climbing bastard and nobody brought that joke back. Well, and even after Dax like stealthed up and looked in, and he's like, you see nothing but a totally empty, cavernous room. And he's like, we should go through the windows. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like he looks for any any chance to roll a die. Knowing Joe, his, at least for Dax, he needs to pick like an envoy where he could just say, get him for his turn. <laughs> And give everyone a bonus. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have to touch a die. It just says, get them, and it's done. It doesn't have to roll a dice. Well, it's done. To go back to what we were talking about earlier, I think the reason that Joe is looking to roll a die is because that gives you more opportunities to make it more dramatic, to up the stakes, to up the ante a little bit, and make it more dramatic. Right, but... Especially when you're counting on Joe for rolls. At the same time, like that puts the party at a disadvantage. Sure. And it puts the listeners into the sheer pleasure of schadenfreude. What he said. Schadenfreude is my second favorite word in German. My favorite word is Beckpfeifengesicht, which translates to a face in need of a fist. It was like a, just a jaw drop. Because <laughs> I tried to like Google it and I can't even like 
spell, spell it. it in a way that Google will be like, oh, you they, mean this. They don't, they don't provide the characters or the accents to put over certain letters in order to spell it properly. Oh, gosh. Is it bad I, that, like, I had a mental image of just that sort of face pop up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, say I'm it a again. Bad person. Backpfeifen uh, but I believe my pronunciation is probably terrible. So somebody's gonna be like, "You really pronounced that wrong." Okay, just stop. It's fine. I got it. German. Yeah. What's the translation again in English? A face in need of a fist. There's so many coworkers I could apply this to. <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> I hope so. Better, I was going to say better to apply the word than to actually apply the fist. Yeah. By the way, Amanda, I like how you liked my updated count from four days ago. Well, I wanted to see where Grant like confirmed your count. Oh, and then some guy gets upset that he won't share his brisket recipe. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he should Welcome. Texas. We already got the Mississippi pot roast. What more do we need? I just finished washing my dishes from my Mississippi pot roast attempt. So. Attempt? Same. I just took mine into a office potluck. Word of advice. Get the slow cooker liners. Yes. You don't have to do any dishes. They're great. You, they you, are great. You have to I do a little bit. Smart. A little bit. Also, another word of advice. Don't just eat half a jar of pepperoncinis. Making the same face after your backpack Five and word. <laughs> no, don't do that. Yeah, and I I used the mild ones. Oh, and they just have such a good flavor, though. I know oh. they're delicious. Uh, oh, we went way off topic. Um, yeah, yeah, we did. This is really bullshitting now at this point. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's the thing that people complain about at the top of the episode. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's the best part of the episode. That is my favorite part of every GCP episode is the bullshitting. I would listen to an episode of bullshitting that ended with a story by Skid. As long as Ellie's in it, because Ellie's like, it's really unfortunate that it's almost 100 episodes in, but she's really coming into her element in the <laughs> intros. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's really starting to shine in the intros. Like taking nine days for a holiday she doesn't even celebrate. Yes. As part of my research for like the coolest research project ever, which is studying the GCP as a master's thesis, I have actually found a scholar who wrote a book and in it she claimed that the social dynamic, aka the bullshitting that happens at the beginning of the episode, is a required form of this genre. Interesting. But yeah, it makes them so much more relatable. And I love. Oh, I agree 100%. Just since they're all around my same age, I'm just like, haha, I get all your jokes, you funny boys. Well, not only that, but it's like if they just started, like if they just, the episode starts with Troy explaining where they're at. That wouldn't make any sense. Like, and, and correct me if I'm not understanding this correctly, but it's like in a TV show. If you're watching a TV show, there's usually a lead up to what the actual story is about. And the intro is kind of like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a lead up to that unless you're watching a soap opera. But like right, right now we're going through community and there's always a little bit of fluff in the beginning before they get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Mm -hmm. Well, in this genre specifically, I would think if they're trying to make you feel like you're sitting down at the table with them, I, having never played, I would assume that there would be like some joking around, some you know, BSing before you just jump right in. You don't just sit down and like stare at each other and then, well, then start playing. 
there are times where we would play even Starfinder and we would maybe be get 30 minutes, 45 minutes of actual play time. And we had a two and a half hour play session. I just ran skitter shot for some friends and I thought, okay, looking at this module. Yeah. That's something we could get through in a session. We sat down, we played for four and a half hours. <laughs> we made it through two encounters. The rest of it was just bullshitting. And everybody enjoyed that. And that's what everybody was looking to get out of it was that social time, like time out with friends to just sort of decompress. Yeah, we're telling a story a little bit and we want to have fun with that. But I don't understand the hatred for the bullshitting because I think for me and in the games that I've played in, that's the most important part is the socialization, not necessarily the story that we're telling. The story that we're telling is compelling, and it's a reason for us to get together. Like, And it's an excuse for us to get together, but it's not the reason for us to get together, if that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like this podcast. Say, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert for those waiting uh, excitedly for my... And I don't understand why anybody would wait, be waiting excitedly for this, but for the video recordings of my conference presentations, I'm I go into this... excited about this. <laughs> but I do go into the importance of the social aspects and why the podcast medium works so well for these sorts of games and these kinds of shows. And that's a humongous part is being able to feel like you're at the table. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it's to make the people at the table feel more comfortable because let's say once again, they didn't do the bullshitting in the beginning of the episode. And we're, we'll just look at Starfinder specifically. Ellie would be so out of place or it would take her a hell of a lot longer to get comfortable with everybody. Yeah. If they didn't have that 10 to 15 minutes of just bullshitting back and forth at the top of the episode for her to get comfortable with everybody. Yeah. If it was entirely just like, all right, we sit down and from the moment we press record to the moment we stop recording, it is 100% the show serious Mm -hmm. in character. Yeah. That would be a completely different dynamic. It'd be destroying. It gives everybody context. Like, you know, that Matthew's like the theater nerd, Italian dude, who's apparently very hairy. (laughs) He's Italian. Yes. You know that Joe is like, you know, Joe, who's seriously like, sounds very left brain numbers guy. And Troy's just an ass and et cetera. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It gives us. A little bit of an insight into, even if these are personas that they put on for the show, right? It gives us a little bit of an insight into what those are, and it helps us build sort of a familiarity with how the episode's going to go. And I think that's a a really big component, or a, a really big part of why... I've really been drawn into this because looking at tabletop role-playing games from the outside, because I didn't get into the hobby until just a couple of years ago when I discovered the glass cannon, I thought it was much more serious all the time. And that was intimidating. Like, okay, I've been out of the loop for so long, I'm going to have no idea what's going on if I tried to get into it. So, you know, I'm just not going to bother. And then the Glass Cannon came along and Glass Cannon Nation, and I was just like, oh, it's just regular people. I can figure that out. It's going to take me a long time, but I can figure that out. And, well, here we are. Cue Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> I was going to say, could I put in one, just one last little thought on androids and aliens? Yeah, go ahead. Nope. So, 
just imagine this. Like, I was thinking about this, and it kind of made my head explode. So when they got into the building, finally, they saw all those images of the planets and, the like, the tally marks and all this kind of stuff, right? And Friss manages to decode it and understand that it's describing the proper harvesting times, the cycles of the, the lichen, mm-hmm. based off the placement of the planets. Mm-hmm. I know Friss is intelligent, but just think about calculating that. He spent less than 24 hours in a new star system, calculated and understood that these markings accurately represented the planet's mo- movements during this time, and then also corresponded with like the biological systems of an alien lichen that he's never interacted before, and managed to figure out, oh yeah, this month's the month to harvest. Yeah, so so two, two things here. I think he's got the intelligence that Pembroke had at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's one oh, thing. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Two, I think a lot of it was and we kind of talked about this last week about Troy kind of being kind of iffy with the roles, either give them all or nothing. And that skid gave Friss, you know, profession archeologist from day one. And specifically on this, uh, Troy called it out on this, mm-hmm. uh, particular episode that because he took profession archeologist DCs are going to be lower. Yeah. I think that really because he took that he's giving him all of this information. Like, I think that's why he got that information was able to process it that quickly. And that Troy was just like, you know what? You did this. You've invested points into this. It's finally going to pay off. Yeah. Cause there's nothing worse right. than taking a profession that does jack shit or any skill that does jack shit in the entire AP. He's basically right. the Daniel Jackson from Stargate of the crew. <laughs> yes and i agree that like that should have been handled that way it was a wonderful way to handle it but i'm just like narratively it's mind-boggling how intelligent um friss is which i love that fact now of course perhaps the calculation of planetary orbits could have been assisted by computer calculations mm-hmm. because yeah. they can totally hand wave that because computers exist in starfinder right but well, I, I, I've, had... just awesome. I've just found that awesome thinking about it yeah and so further to that point about computers and stuff, they also had, I think it was like five hours to get from whence they dropped out of the vast to the planet. So Frisk could have been studying that whole time just about like, all right, hey, how we take projections for how many rotations this planet takes and all this shit, you know? So it's there. And that's the great thing about Starfinder is you can hand wave a lot of that shit because you'd be like, it's the future. Yeah. Mm. I feel like there's a lot more... Leeway. There's a greater narrative reason to have a, a suspension of disbelief in Starfinder than there is in Pathfinder, which is surprising because of the prevalence of magic. Yeah, and I've found in a similar vein, like for a similar reason, I've enjoyed GMing Starfinder more. And I can hand wave stuff a little bit more because of like, oh yeah, you could look that up. I can also do more pre-recorded stuff if I know there's a robot that's going to have like a specific line or something that they're just going to pass. Or if there's going to be some sort of an alert or an announcement, I can do that up front. And there's a reason for me to, you know, have a little bit more fun with my preparation than just, all right, here's the monsters, here's the voices. And so for me, it's a more entertaining game to, to GM for. But that's enough off-topic talk from us. If you have any questions, thoughts, or comments, send us an email at gcnfancast at gmail.com. Special thanks once again to our guests, Amanda and DeSicchio, for joining us today. It was a pleasure having both of you on. Yes, it was. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It was a pleasure to be on. So now, we'll see you next week for the last time in this iteration of the show next Monday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.
Glass Cannon Nation Fancast is an independent production with no affiliation to the Glass Cannon Network. The intro and outro song is titled Work by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License 3.0. No, no, no. I, I know. <laughs> I know where and you're going. Then, after the week, there's your outro. He's <laughs> <laughs> so much too tired. <laughs> okay. That was like a Reddit, like, that was, yes, that was me. Oh, was that you? That was me. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make that a fucking um, uh, signature. The, um... I can't call it anal. A no A N and A L and, yeah and like, yeah, we're, like, yeah, we're, we're gonna make that a, a little um flare no that never happened oh Jesus.